You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Thank you, guys. Thank you, all the worship team. Thank you, David, for leading us in prayer time. For Tristan and Taylor, especially, we're very glad to have them a part of our family. And now, Tristan as intern. Um, It's good for you to be together this morning. It's good for us to all be together this morning. Thank you so much for choosing to be here, whether it's uh, in person or online. Thank you. If uh, this is your first time, we want to extend a very special welcome to you. And for those of you who have been here for a bit and have been following the progress of Charlie Colbreth, uh, Scott's brother, 82 days in the burn center at Augusta, Georgia, after being in a horrific accident with a tanker uh, that blew up. He was far enough away, but just burns all over his body. Um, He's out of the hospital and sends very special uh, gratitude, expressions of gratitude to those at Grace Community Church who have prayed for him, encouraged him in any number of ways. So thank you from Charlie Colbreth. Yeah, we're we're happy. He's probably watching now or a little later. Well, I think I told you last Sunday that We may look back at 2020 as the good old days uh, pretty soon. Who knew it would be so quick? Uh, This past week brought, in my judgment, one of the darkest days in our nation's history. And we are all processing what happened at our nation's capital from wildly different social, political, and philosophical perspectives. And don't read too much or too little into what I have just said about it being a dark day. It, it was a dark day in our nation's history. Our task as believers, though, is to consider the spiritual and kingdom implications of the times in which God has placed us. He has put us here for a reason in this time. And it's difficult to do in a land in which many think a marriage between religion and politics is the answer to all our nation's problems. But then, at the same time, a large segment of the population thinks that religion is the problem. Is there anyone left among us who feels confident in our nation's political process? Are we going to be able to sort this out? Sunday mornings this month are devoted to a sermon series titled, Time to Decide, Jesus or Self. It's appropriate for all, but I would like to especially encourage those of you under 30 to pay very careful attention to the things, the text that we're going to be looking at this this month and the things that will be said. And I mean everyone from five to six years old right up to 30. And for good measure, the rest of us should take heed. As well, because God's design for the church is from top to toe, as we say down under. From the youngest to the oldest, in both ways. Here is an outline of the month's text and sermon titles. Last week, we talked about rest, resting in Jesus, not so much resolution. 
didn't title that. I wish I had. And I say this with apologies to Jonathan Edwards. I understand the importance of commitments. In fact, we're talking about commitment today. But nonetheless, we must rest in Jesus, not in our own strength. Today, we're talking about count the cost from Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 33. Next week, marriage by design. And then the week after that, maturity by design. The role that our families play in the kingdom of God. And then last, how shall we live? Or as Francis Schaeffer said, how then shall we live? Or how shall we then live? I can't recall which. From Philippians 1, 12 to 30. Last week, we began the service by placing ourselves at the epicenter of an earthquake and realizing that the ground beneath us is splitting open and the chasm is growing wider all the time. Believers who have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom are not going to be in a comfortable place for very long. We're going to have to jump one way or the other because it's no longer possible to stay halfway in this business. Today's text forces us to choose. And every time we're confronted with the decision by Jesus to choose one way or the other, we do choose one way or the other. If we say, I'm going to think about that for a while, that's really a choice to say no. Now, you need to definitely give consideration as our text is going to call us. But if you say, I'll just do that later, that is... No, so we have to choose. Our text today is Luke 14, verses 25 to 33. It's our custom to stand for the reading of God's word. And I would ask you to do that, please. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Now, great crowds accompanied him, that is Jesus. And he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. When I was a camp director, and believe me, Preaching this text, I feel like I'm back at, at camp. Somet sometimes at TVR, I would tell those who were in the mountains for the weekend, <coughs> excuse me, or for a week, TVR is a place of crisis. If you didn't have a crisis when you came, we'll try to create one for you while you're here. 
Now, if you heard such a statement without context, you would be certain that I am speaking as the leader of a political party. But the point was not to upset people, but rather to encourage them to make the most of their time in the mountains, away from all the distractions of day-to-day life, away from technology, free to carefully evaluate one's life and to think about the big issues of life. That's the benefit of Sunday mornings, doing that every week at church. Jesus' comments in Luke 14 indicate that the spiritual issues of life are The big issues of life. And everything else must take second place for the one who will follow Jesus. Up to this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been debating the Pharisees, calling out the religious leaders for their hypocrisy and for taking advantage of the people that they are called to lead and to serve. This pleased the masses. They're like, tell them, Jesus, tell them. And then he turns to the crowds And he said, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If you're unwilling to bear your cross, then you cannot be my disciple. Now, if you've never been exposed to Jesus' teaching, then these words will come as a shock to you. If you have heard Jesus before, though, you know that he often used extreme statements for effect, such as in Matthew 5, 29, when he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Was Jesus literally encouraging people to cut out their eye and throw it away? No, of course not. But what he was saying was, anything that causes you to sin, any temptation to lust or to greed or to gluttony or whatever temptations come through the eyes, you need to take seriously and put them aside. In saying that any who would follow him must hate various family members, Jesus was clearly saying this in a comparative sense. He talked about the family all the time and God's design for the family and how it's good. His point was, though, that you must love Jesus more than you love anyone else, including those on earth with whom you were closest. I heard years ago, I heard it was Spurgeon, I don't know, maybe some of you Spurgeon experts could could tell me whether this is true, but it was someone, when he proposed to his wife, said, you do know that you'll never be first place in my life, Jesus will always be first place in my life. You couldn't get away with saying that now, maybe in the 19th century, 1800, you maybe could, could do that, but she said, well, That's really fine with me because if Jesus is first place in your life, I'll always be second. It's a great response. And it's truly the way it is, as we will see next week. But loving the Lord your God with all your heart supersedes any love that you have on earth if you are a disciple of Jesus. Then in verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. To bear your own cross meant that you were bearing it to the place where you would be crucified. Imagery that the ones who heard Jesus would have surely understood. In fact, you just didn't talk about crucifixions in polite company. Jews, Gentiles, nobody talked about 
crucifixion. You're in a crowded room at a party. Somebody says, hey, did you guys see that crucifixion? The crowd goes in, in entirely quiet. It was a social faux pas. You just didn't talk about it. And Jesus said, if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow me, then you cannot be my disciple. Now, had you been there that day as a member of that large crowd, how would you have responded? Would you have turned away from Jesus like so many did in John 6 after Jesus spoke of eating his flesh and drinking his blood? He was in John 6, once again, using hyperbole to make his point about intimate relationship that, that exists between Jesus and his followers. And he was also talking about the cost of following him. So this is a good place for us to stop. For those of us who have repented of our sins and trusted Jesus, death on the cross is the only hope that we have of heaven is a satisfactory substitute for our sins. In other words, for those of us who have committed our, 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 our lives to following Jesus, because when you trust Jesus as, you savior, as your Savior, you essentially are saying, I'm yours. I will go with you anywhere. I'll do anything. And, and by the way, even though we only are saved one time, repentance is kind of like that. Whenever we repent of sin, it's not like, oh, Lord, well, I messed up, I guess. You need to forgive me again. It's like, no, I don't ever want to do this again. God, please forgive me. And then there's that joy that comes with the forgiveness of Christ. But this is a good time for us to ask a few questions. First, who do you love more than you love Jesus? Second, what in this life, would you be unwilling to give up so that you might follow Jesus? Third, what suffering are you unwilling to bear to follow Jesus? You'll notice that these questions are framed in the negative, just like Jesus posed them. When I was saved at 18, I was at a, at a fairly low point in my life, so I didn't give up anything to follow Jesus, really. I gave up a handful of friends, but really they gave me up, and that was okay. I, I understand why they could no longer, really no longer wanted to hang with me, but I gained everything. I had a passion to, to follow and to serve the Lord, but giving up everything didn't mean much when I didn't have much to give up. I wonder how it would have felt in 1972 if Jesus' words had meant to me, if you want to follow me, you will soon be so unpopular that you will pay a great price. If you are unwilling to be dragged out of your house, taken to prison, tortured, and then publicly executed on the same day that you were arrested. You cannot be my disciple. What then? See, those of us who are 45, 55, 65, and on up, we didn't have to answer those questions. Some of you 
high school, college age. You've thought about these things. (laughs) Or if you haven't, it's time to think about them. It's time to decide. For all of us, you may understand the cost of following Jesus much more than we understood it unless you have been on the mission field in a country where people are hostile to the gospel. To take up your cross daily and follow Jesus does not mean that you absolutely will be subjected to all the suffering that I've just described, and I hope you won't be. But you might. We all might. It is why Jesus told those who would follow him to count the cost. If you're going to build a house, don't you think it's best that you know that you have enough money so that you can finish what you start? If you're young, you may think that the older saints among us do not understand the 21st century and have little to offer. Here's something I can say about the older saints, many of whom are at home because they understand the dangers of COVID. They committed their lives to Jesus many years ago, and they are still following him. They are finishing the race well, even though they have experienced years of hardship and suffering. And they are praying very much for you. I think the older saints in our church, one of the biggest things that they can do is to pray for those of you who are young. So the next time you see them, thank them for their faithfulness. We have so much to learn from them. Will the same be able to be said about any of us? I hope so. And as the writers of Scripture say, I'm just repeating them, not Tending to be on, I have confidence that it will be so because God has confidence in us. Please understand, this is not a rebuke; it's a challenge. I I don't know the recent statistics, what the recent statistics tell us, but I think we we all know that a lot of young men and women leave the church when they leave home. And it used to be that they would return when they had children, because they said, you know what, want to raise our children in the in the church. Now they're just walking away from Jesus and they're staying away. That's going to be the temptation for you. And they're not having any children, by the way. So what about you, 10th grader? What's going to happen to you? You may not think you'll walk away, but you may be fully unprepared For what is about to hit you in a few years. Well you probably do know. Because you're online. And you may already be tempted to walk away. May I plead with you. Do not walk away from Jesus. It would be much easier to do so. When the odds are against all those who are going to take up their cross and follow Jesus. But this life is a blink. And eternity is. Is forever. To truly walk away from Jesus and not look back, you must, you have to conclude that all of this is a farce. Is it? Is it? It might be true, it might not. Which way are you going to fall? You've got to jump one way or the other. And plant your feet firmly when you're jumping to Jesus. And if you've jumped the other way, jump back before the chasm gets any bigger. 
You notice in our text that Jesus does not soften his call by saying, hey, hey, look, you count the cost, but I promise you, you're going to find it. It's worth it. Now, a lot of scripture says that. <laughs> but Jesus didn't soften it. In, instead, he challenges his listeners further by implying that his followers will be in a war with a numerically superior army. And don't think Satan is dumb. Who's the head of the other army? He's not dumb. Difficulties await those who promote God's kingdom through Jesus. Which is why larger and larger numbers are suing for peace. Or they're saying, hey world, I, I believe what you believe. So don't throw me in there with those Christians. For years, they, <clears throat> I, I know I was part of the problem, but no longer. So don't. Bother me. In verse 33, Jesus said that his disciples would need to hold loosely to everything that they own. That's a polite and slightly watered down version of what he was actually saying. Material possessions hold us back possibly more than anything else. Once again, things did not have much hold on me when I was 18 because I didn't have very many things. I didn't care about what I did not have. Then slowly over the years, I began to accumulate possessions. And I began to realize that rather than me owning those possessions, they were beginning to own me. Or at least have great sway over my thinking. Now, talking about the price that a lot of the younger ones may have, do you not think it's possible and if you're a Christian, they're going to take away your fine home, your fine vehicles. Do you not think that's possible? Do you remember the Jewish ghettos in Europe during World War II? One of the things I'll be talking about in the next two weeks is the importance of understanding history. It could happen to any of us. And, and if it's going to happen, it'll happen. It will happen much quicker than we think it will. And We need to be ready. We need to count the cost and we need to realize that the war is already hot. And we got 10,000 and they got 20,000. One of the ways that we need to prepare for persecution in our land is to begin to let go of our grip on the things that we own or begin to pry the grip that those things have on us away. If you were younger, and this will not be the last time I, I, I say this, if you were younger and you will serve the Lord, if you plan to and you follow through with your commitment to serve the Lord for the rest of your life, chances are very good that you will not live as well as your parents lived. Commitment to Jesus and his kingdom may soon become the American dream in reverse. That's only one reason we need to count the cost. All of us. Following Jesus is not an easy life. So a lot of believers seek to soften their stand. Or to take the good of Christian beliefs but reject those that anger the those beliefs that infuriate the world. In verses 34 to 35, Jesus says that if salt loses its taste, it's 
no longer of any use. Since salt does not lose its taste, either Jesus was saying it wasn't salt to begin with, or it's been so cut with impurity, so, so uh, diluted with filler, that it is of no longer value in preserving meat or, 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 or providing flavor. It's worthless. His point, you can't do much when you're straddling the chasm. You got to be one side or the other. It's all or nothing. So what's it going to be for you? Are you going to fold or stand? We talk about this a lot in home group this week. Thankfully, we are not called to stand for Jesus in our own strength. He will enable us to stand, providing us the words to say and the strength to endure. And if we are called to suffer at these kinds of levels that we're imagining on the basis of this message... If we are called to suffer like that, he is going to be with us in our suffering, just like he was in the prison cell with Paul. He's going to be there with us. If we are politically minded, we are likely to be angry when things don't go our way. One of the problems, isn't it, with being politically minded? If we're following Jesus, we're more likely to exude the fragrance of Christ when we suffer. More about that, Lord willing, on the last day of this month. Today is a day to count the cost. and Make a decision. One way or the other. Let's pray. we were at camp, I would probably ask you to stand if you had going to make that decision or at the very least raise your hand. If I were asking you to stand, I would say keep standing because in just a minute we're going to open our eyes and going to look around. But it's easy to stand in a place like this. But really, I'll end this message the same way Jesus did. He made those comments and then he just turned and walked away. Just said, you in? Okay, follow me. Lord, had so many thoughts this week as I've prepared this message. One of the primary thoughts was in Ephesians or in uh, the church of Ephesus being addressed in the book of Revelation when Jesus said to them, you've lost your first love. It's one of the beautiful aspects of the structure of the church. We need the wisdom of the aged, and we need the passion of the young. And we thank you for this group of young men and women who have taken their stand already. For those who are straddling that ever-growing chasm, I pray that you would help them to jump toward Jesus and to fall into his arms and Lord, for those of us who have seen many things and we know the dangers and we know the difficulties of, of, of finishing that building that's been started, 
or that was started years ago, then we pray you would help us to be able to share that wisdom even as we receive strength from the passion of the young. So Lord, may this body of Christ work as it should. This building that is being built. And may we be aware that we're tied to the cornerstone. And that Jesus will never let us down. May not make sense. But it's always for the best. As Diane McLaughlin was sharing this morning with me. We trust God for all of this. All of this is according to his plan. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you, aware of our weaknesses, knowing that we're going to have to do it again and again all through our lives. We thank you that Jesus went to the cross for us. May we gladly and willingly, even if fearfully, at the same time, take up our crosses and follow him. It's in his name that we pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.